You're listening to Community Spotlight on DTA Live Radio. Welcome everyone to today's Community Spotlight. I'm very excited. We have a special guest today, Dr. April Louise Pennant. And we're going to be learning quite a bit about what this young lady has been doing in regards to history and in regards to reconnecting her heritage story of her ancestors to the work that she's doing presently. So first of all, let's welcome Dr. April Louise Pennant to the platform. Thank you so much for coming and joining us, Dr. Greetings, Connie. Thank you for inviting (laughs) me. (laughs) It's good to be connected. It's an honor to have you. I'm going to tell the audience just a little bit about you so that they can get acquainted. So community, who is Dr. April Louise Pennant? Dr. April Louise Pennant is a scholar activist. She is a change maker, an ESRC postdoctoral fellow at Cardiff University, and a research associate at the Chair for Critical Studies in Higher Education and Transformation at the Nelson Mandela University in South Africa. Now, that's a tall order and there's more, but I'm keeping, I'm just shortening it so that you can all take it in. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the introduction. So the reason we have um, Dr. Pennant here, I'm going to just call her April Louise after this, is because of her amazing work that she has been doing in regards to reconnecting with her heritage, well, the Heritage Story Act Penryn Castle. Now, I would like April Louise to tell you about that herself. And so let's hear it. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) there is a castle um, in North Wales, as Connie said, called Penryn Castle. And as you all heard, my surname is Pennant. I was going to try and do the Welsh pronunciation, but I don't think I've quite (laughs) got it down to a T yet. So I've always known that my surname has Welsh origins and I have always wanted to explore what that means based on the fact that, you know, being from Jamaica, at least one side of my family anyway, there's always that event of slavery which disrupted our history. So um, I knew I was going to explore it at some point. Obviously, I've seen that there has been some previous engagement in terms of other penants who have done documentaries or who have, you know, explored themselves. So there is some information out there. But what's unique about Penryn Castle in North Wales is that they have given their archival or their documents, which includes their Jamaican plantation papers to Bangor University in their archives. So what it is, is me moving to Wales to work firstly in the government after completing my PhD. I thought that now was the time for me to explore this history, particularly as I was now in Wales. And what had happened is I was part of a group called the North Wales Jamaica Society. And, you know, I'd been to some of their events and they um, were engaged in some research called the Pennant Project, which I happened to come across in a mailing list. And I was like, ooh, Pennant Project? I'm a Pennant, what's that? So I contacted the lady directly 
who let me know about the North Wales Jamaica Society as well as what she has been working on in terms of making connections with Jamaica. And she informed me that there was a historian who had done a lot of work on this area. And from that group, a couple of, I would say, this was before I went to Wales, but we still kept in contact. And then there was a young journalist who was doing a... I guess, investigation into the National Trust and its properties, because they had recently created a report and done some research about its colonial and slavery connections for the properties and the, uh, and the stuff that they have. And based on that report, she wanted to do more research and do a story, particularly on Penryn Castle. And she reached out to the North Welsh Jamaica Society to find out if they had or knew any descendants from the Jamaican penance who would be interested in being a part of her um, story, which was going to be a podcast. So when this opportunity was available, I jumped at the chance because it's something that I've always wanted to do. And I thought this would be perfect to document this journey um, that I was going to take. So after speaking to the young journalist, you know, being really excited, explaining to her that, you know, I'm now in Wales and I've always wanted to do this and I know about my name and it will be really great. And I hadn't been to the castle yet. She thought that that would have been an amazing story. And she um, funded a trip and I was able to take my dad. So at the end of June in 2020, um, no, 2021, my apologies, we took the trip, which is like a five hour train journey from Cardiff to North Wales. And it was over like just under a week where we were able to see, meet the historian who had obviously done a lot of work about it, hear more about the history of the North Wales, the white um, penance, um, and you know, how they were able to literally uh, use the money to create a great deal of wealth, not just for themselves, but the local community, as well as to see some of the archives. So it was the first time seeing my ancestors' names like on paper, obviously they were listed like cattle and there was hardly any surnames for a lot of people, but it was still um, really profound to get to see the records and also seeing certain names that like my uncles and my aunts and my cousins have to this day, which was really like chilling. So we went to the archive, we got to also see the local area. So we saw that they used to own mountains. We saw that they had created railroads. Um, we saw that they had pumped a lot of money into the slate quarry, um, which provided livelihoods for the local community. Just great amount of wealth that these people had. And they still have to this day because we also found out that there's about, I think, two or five remaining descendants. And they still owned, even though they gave the castle to the National Trust um, to avoid inheritance tax, they still own the land around the castle. They still own some items within the property. And to this day, they are still benefiting from the wealth that was generated from the enslaved Africans in Jamaica, who included my ancestors. So yeah, we were able to see the archives, the local area, and finally we went to the castle. And in that the castle, I just, I wanted to leave a tribute because you know, we'd seen everything and there wasn't anything really reflecting apart from a temporary exhibition called What a World, which I guess was highlighting the colonial connections. It was still based on objects and not on people. So yeah, like on the final day, we, me and my dad, we were white and we bought some flowers and a card and 
we put a tribute in the castle right underneath all the ancestors of the white penance the ones that would have owned my ancestors we put a tribute right there and we brought my ancestors and the enslaved africans into the castle and you know i wanted to bear witness to what they had did because they literally that's what they built with their blood sweat and tears over generations and generations of forced labor and it was very emotional i'm still processing it and since then um i've just been reflecting on my trip and you know making steps to continue to explore to ultimately find out where my ancestors were taken from in Africa and to start this journey of of repair and healing because to this day there's no um, atonement there's no honoring acknowledging or proper recognition for the immense contributions of enslaved Africans. Absolutely brilliant I am so moved by this story. I had said this to you already, yes. but I just want the audience to connect with what you've just said. And not just to connect what you've just said, but to connect also to an example. Audience members, did you hear what the young lady just said? She just said that she went to go and bring her ancestors back to venerate what they had done before. Yeah, because mm -hmm. they had been... They had been in that space. They had been in that space. They built the castle just so that you know and put a little archive background. The, the Penryn Castle is also associated with what we, as mentioned um, by Dr. April Louise, is that it's associated with the great Penryn Quarry. Mm -hmm. Now, for some of you who may or may not know, this quarry had one of the longest workers' strikes back in the 1900s. Yes. Known today in British history. And I do mean one of the longest. We're talking about like a good three years and a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, workers' strike. And to this day, the workers' strike was so intense in regards to the rights that people had that were not being met in terms of low pay, in terms of bad treatment, in terms of you know, um, quality of treatment that many of the the white descendants refuse to go to the castle to this day. Yes. So I'm drawing in that comparison audience members because I want to show you how important it is for us to know that history. So can you imagine those people were upset about their treatment? Much <laughs> less, much less our ancestors who would have not gotten a chance to even get any pay much less to even voice a strike. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So this is the part where I'm going to now ask April Louise to tell us now about what then moved her to investigate further into the whole idea of bringing some kind of homage, you know, honor to mm. her ancestry within that space. What about your heritage kind of made you feel that like I'm invested in this? Go ahead, mm -hmm. I feel like I've always been very connected in terms of to my spirituality and to my sense of self and as I said I've always been an inquisitive child and particularly being interested and fascinated with blackness, Africanness, our communities, our cultures, our food and our legacies and just me being a product of it third generation Jamaican on my dad's side hence my surname Nigerian on my mom's side or sorry Yoruba I don't like the term Nigeria because of the colonial again legacies but 
I was moved to do it. I think as well, like my, my, a lot of my job, I got involved in the Welsh government in a lot of anti-racist work, as well as them looking at ways to, you know, include black, Asian, minority, ethnic communities, contributions, Canavian within their new curriculum. The Welsh government also, when I was there, commissioned a report called um, the Slave Audit, led by Gaynor Legal, where they were looking at road names, different places and its connections to slavery, you know, Black Lives Matter happened and I was able to co-create and do some research internally about race and gender and intersectionality in the workplace and why no one can talk about these things. So I think everything that was happening around me, you know, being now physically in Wales, because I'm from London originally, the way things fell into my lap as well in terms of, you know, as I said, I stumbled across Pennant Project in a message that was forwarded to a mailing list. And then obviously I went to investigate because I'm nosy and I'm inquisitive. And I was like, I'm a Pennant. What you, what's the Pennant Project about? I'm a Pennant, you know? So, and I just feel my ancestors in terms of like, they're all around me. I'm, a, I'm the latest version of them. And I just feel like, you know, so many people didn't survive um, the Middle Passage, the genocide that took place over hundreds of years. So to be here, like to be in Wales, to see what they probably would not have known that they were like building and contributing to is profound. And I see it as an honour. And also the fact that, you know, they're not recognised. There is no proper recognition or atonement. There's so much work to be done. So for me, I just feel like a vessel and as well as doing this journey to hopefully heal, to also learn more about you know, where I'm from in Africa and, and who my ancestors were, even though, like, you know, I am them. I just want to learn more about them. But I also want to use it as a, as a learning opportunity because I come from an education background, like education. My PhD was in education, sorry. So all of that, like, is I believe that education can be transformative. I believe that it's a tool to awaken and liberate self and others and... I just think that, you know, it's destined to be and I'm just embarking on this journey to just because it's supposed to be. So I, I'm, I've always been invested and I will continue to be invested. But there is a lot of psychological things that come with it. Particularly, well, yeah, particularly yeah. because, you know, these kind of histories ha- are not handled with care, if that makes sense. And you made a very good point in regards to that earlier. Mm. You said that a lot of the times... We go into museum spaces or heritage spaces and the history is very much around objects Mm -hmm. uh, rather than people. And so what you find is there's a massive disconnect because you're looking at objects and it's almost like the objects are standing in isolation. So what I'm liking about your conversation is that it's bringing in context that these things are not in isolation. There is a intersection that comes in that's even far more richer and far more greater, which are the people behind these objects. What are the cultures behind these objects? And what does it tell us? Um, Did you find anything in at the castle that pertained to any of your culture or anything like that? Well, there was a exhibition, a temporary exhibition that was in place. So what that was is called Water World. So I'm sure people can go and um, Google it. But essentially it was about 
starting the process, I guess, of teaching young children, I'm guessing from local schools, about the colonial connections that the castle had. So within that, what that meant is when you come in, so you can go into Penryn Castle when there's a tour where you're able to go around rooms which they've opened and dotted around the rooms, you'll see installations of objects and then the children have, you know, written poems about what the objects mean to them and how they interpreted them. Very good. However, when I went the first time, I wasn't able to you know, really taking the exhibition, but I, I recently just went again and I was able to really listen to particularly the first installation when there was the children, I guess, introducing the Water World exhibition. And funny enough, one of the children was ex calling or explaining the wealth from the North Wales penance as they had a sugar farm in Jamaica and they brought slaves who worked on it and that's where the money came from. Something like that which for me didn't really do justice to the severity and the hundreds and hundreds of years in which the money was generating and, and, and pumping himself and his family as well as the local community and providing a significant amount of status and wealth. So for instance, you know, the first North Wales pennant went to Jamaica as a, a mere sailor, was able to get some land. And then, you know, his son or grandson became the, the Chief Justice of Jamaica, I believe. One of his other descendants was uh, the mayor or an MP in Liverpool. So we're talking about some serious stuff. And as I said, to this day, they're still living off the wealth. And they also received compensation when slavery was abolished. So in terms of like objects, they have different objects such as there's the two plantation pictures or portraits, which they had um, in the exhibition. There's also like an Osiris uh, Egyptian statue, which is meant to be the oldest in the UK. So it doesn't necessarily just deal with slavery, it's about colonial connections. And that's what I mean in terms of, you know, they, they briefly mention uh, slavery and you can see the plantation pictures but yeah there is that disconnect and I think it was only until I think it's when I went to university undergrad when I went to a lecture from another university and they were explaining about the economic contributions of slavery because it's often depicted as it was over there and the UK is so great Britain's so great because we abolished it so we're good people but actually like banks insurances everything was fueled and benefited from slavery and it was actually like 45,000 or 46,000 families that were able to you know gain from the compensation when slavery was abolished <laughs> so I mean it's part of the fabric we are part of the fabric even before we have been here you know and that's often omitted erased sometimes purposely so that we are disconnected and we're, we're, we're not aware of how much we built this country essentially no exactly and the, the hands that came over there were physical hands Yes. You know, and it happened here. It didn't happen. You, I like the way that you said you said that. It happened here, not over there. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that for people who are into the whole academia world. You know, Stuart Hall. Yes. And his thing about you know acting like the problem is over there and not here. Well, yes. This is a perfect example of 
actually it actually happened here not all mm-hmm. <laughs> but even, even even um Stuart Hall one of Professor Stuart Hall one of my favorite quotes is when he says you know we are here because you were there you know right. that's right <laughs> that's right exactly Support Sister Space and their tailored services for African heritage women survivors of domestic and sexual violence by going to sisterspace.org forward slash support dash us. My next question to you is, in regards to atonement, what did that do for both yourself and your father on a spiritual level? What did it do for you? Ooh. I mean, I think it definitely moved my dad. Obviously, I can't speak for him, but I think he was definitely moved. And what I've got to say is that after we went to the castle, we were able to engage with the creators of the National Trust and have conversations about just their role in this and how they present the castle right and obviously they have to make so many people happy but in terms of for me it was so emotional you know because what was interesting as well is that the first time I was directed to a website where there had been research done about the legacy of slavery from this particular family I remember clicking on one of the pages and there was a picture of I guess one of the tenants that may have owned or did own my ancestors and I just burst into tears. I remember just bursting into tears because it was the first time, like, seeing a face. And it just so happened that it was quite, like coming full circle because that was where I ended up leaving my flowers underneath that picture because that was the picture that, one of many pictures that was in the big dining um, room, the Great Hall, which is kind of the, the pinnacle of the, of the visit when you walk around. So the pain, though, was also very evident because you know this genetic memory you know there's this uh, post-traumatic slave disorder as Joy DeGruy like she, she she came up with so I just it was like the first in a, a many different steps that's how I found it in terms of I just honoured them and began to start the process and feel a deeper connection because I think like I said they're always there in terms of guiding me to different ways and to, to, to seeing different things that maybe are not in plain sight. Agreed. Yeah, so it was definitely, I definitely felt a, a connection, you know, the injustice, it reeked of injustice. I'm interested to know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm interested to know if it also solidified in you and your father, your claim and acknowledgement, apart from the fact that how great you both are, mm. your claim and acknowledgement as being a, a person who, oh, I hate the term, but black British, you know, because many times they try to, you know, when you read about race and all of those things, race and class, they try to to almost demolish 
your existence as part of what made Britain, Britain. And here is a living example of the entanglement between the British Empire and black bodies, African bodies, yes. to be yes. more specific. I don't even like to use the term black because it isolates the fact that these people are African heritage. So these African bodies in the space. So therefore you cannot extricate the two. You know, mm. this is, this is, this is, it, it, it almost takes away the, 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 the storytelling factor part of it and says, no, well, look, here's a fact. <laughs> you, be, you are a part of this history. You are a part of this heritage, you know. You know, so I wanted to know if that kind of occurrence, if that happened within your, your, you know. The thing is, I think it's, it's quite interesting because, yes, there's a lot of problems, you know, with, with Britain and its history. But for me, I've always classed myself as British, maybe because I'm third generation, but not because I'm unaware of its atrocities but just because I've always been aware of our immense contributions and how long we have actually been in these aisles. And therefore I feel like certain narratives or certain, it's, it sometimes uses a tool to isolate you from these, these, these spaces and places and even nationhood and citizenship. And for me, I've always classed myself as British, not just British, but because I have that awareness and it's like, you cannot tell me who and what I am, and you cannot take me away from what is rightly mine. Does that make sense? So, so my British identity comes with an awareness of all that. I know that my ancestors and those of African as well as Asian people have contributed. And I guess identity isn't about what you contributed, but I guess in a sense where like you can't separate us, if that makes sense, because we're so we're in the fabric of of this of Britain. So in terms of going to the castle, yes, it's a monument and it does for me represent, this is what I was talking about. This is why I can claim Britishness. This is why no one can tell me to go home, so to speak. Because instead you should be saying, thank you. <laughs> you should be thanking me. You should be thanking us. You should be thanking our ancestors because we built the country, not just after post-World War II, which is what they like to have us think. But even then, look how they treated the descendants of the Windrush generation anyway, and how they're still treating us now, you know? So yes. I think going to the castle for me and even seeing the castle for the first time, even when I look at the castle now, it, it, it comes up. So it, was on, it featured in The Apprentice the other week and I saw it as a preview. My, my spirit always has a reaction, especially now that I know. And it'd be interesting to, 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 to have not known and to see if I had a reaction. Do you know what I mean? But it just made me see that that's, unfortunately, whether I like it or not, this is part of my legacy, even bearing this name, which I see as a key, which I can then trace back, you know? So I've always known our immense contributions in, in this, this place, this country. And yeah, it definitely you know, gave me a more personal stake, I would say. And I actually, <laughs> I actually introduced when people like, um, you know, what are you doing and what you're interested in? I always say, yeah, I'm looking at Penryn Castle, which my ancestors built. I will say it like, <laughs> and people are often shocked, but it's like, it's the truth. <laughs> Proudly, yeah. And now I know, you know what I mean? Like, I really know, especially when I've got to explore and hear how the money that was directly from slavery, I think the castle was built in the 18th century or the 19th century. So it's kind of like a newer castle. So that money directly built 
that castle and what we see now you understand so there's a complete link so yeah it's just about decolonizing it though in terms of making a new relationship with this castle and also using it as a tool and a monument of education well this takes me to my next question mm. so now that you've identified your own process yes how do you think places like Penryn castle can now establish itself as a space for educating the public and have African heritage in you know set up um, educational inclusion well I don't I don't like to use that term either <laughs> to, set up, to set up basically to create spaces that advocate for sharing a balanced history. So yes, the castle um, is great and it has all this fancy cutlery and whatever, but also the castle is also associated with this particular piece of history. And Mm. as you you understand, and take it back to even the estates in Clarendon and what Mm. happens in Clarendon, because that's a whole other story as well. Yes. (laughs) You understand? So what would you suggest because i'm sure you know based upon our conversations you didn't see that information being provided Mm. you understand so what would you suggest could be a way forward i think it's fantastic that there's organizations like yourself you know the colonizer archive university of repair i think like you guys have the expertise to engage with these organizations in a constructive manner with the experience and i think that's important So I think there needs to be more collaboration with organisations like yourself. But also we have to be aware of the limitations, right? So these institutions, these tools, they're not built for us. We're not the audience. We don't pay the National Trust membership. These spaces, you know, can be very hostile in terms of just the feeling and the energy. And maybe we shouldn't necessarily obviously we have to engage and collaborate because they hold the power and they're in charge of these properties and these collections but there's something there about reframing that conversation and i'm just thinking now so for instance i know that there's like black history tours done around london or liverpool which and even amsterdam where you know they're using the same streets but they're reframing the narrative and recentering important parts for our communities so i think there's something there about us obviously in partnership also doing a similar thing to make sure that you know the quality of the content and the exhibitions and the installations which are put in there are not just tick boxing exercises which are not really teaching the children the truth but provide understanding and appreciation and also apart from the Liverpool Museum of Slavery which is just the floor (laughs) um, which I was surprised to see they make it seem like it's such a huge thing but um, yeah that's the only one in the whole of the UK which is quite worrying to my knowledge if someone can correct me if I'm wrong but that's the only one and I think you know, I, I got to go and see the Slate Museum, which was fantastic. And there's more than one, I believe. And they had a demonstration where there was an old quarryman who was splitting the slate in terms of what he would do. And I got to engage and ask questions because I genuinely love to learn and understand like people's perspectives and lived experiences. And based on that, I got a new sense of appreciation for how hard the job must have been he spoke about the conditions which were terrible 
And I have a newfound sense of appreciation. Obviously, not everyone's like me, but I guess that's the beauty of learning. And I think currently there isn't that appreciation or understanding of Black people, African people, Caribbean peoples, what we have gone through and endured. So there's something there about creating more meaningful resources, more accurate, more balanced resources. Um, Because currently it's focused on the slave owners, the enslaved people's owners and their family and essentially going around properties in awe of their riches and wealth, which is essentially blood money. And we're lauding and celebrating and honouring these people when they teethed it all. They didn't get it from from good ways. And sometimes I'm like, are we like you would never do this for other communities? So why is it that even though we know, particularly with Pembroke Castle, we know where the money came from, yeah, we're just gonna like not really acknowledge. Why, it. Yeah, why is it not a permanent mo- monument or or memorial as a starting point? Why did I have to bring my own? You know, yeah. so. <laughs> That in itself is is just the lack of dissonance. Yeah, it's and the dissonance. disrespect, and it's a lot. Like walking through it and engaging when I know that I have to, and it's important for me to do so, just to be at those tables. But the psychological costs and emotional costs that come with it, that also needs to be changed, and 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 we need to be catered for so that we can do that in a meaningful way, without harming ourselves. Adding more harm to the harm that we've been encountering for like generations and haven't even had a chance to heal from, you know? So there's so much, there's so much there. But I think what I would say is they need to, these organizations need to really, if they're serious, um, engage with organizations like yourself to really do the work. But it's going to make many people uncomfortable, particularly their uh, main customers or clients. And they may not, that's the reason why they may not really want to change anything or change it too much anyway. Hi family, I'm Shola Luriday, artist and painter. Please support our GoFundMe, which is a collaboration between Decolonising the Archive and University of Africa to create a bio-literal conversation between young people in Africa and here in Britain around archives and history. We need your support to make this a reality. So go to Black Arts Movement, a return to Ghana theatre archive, and give what you can. You're listening to GTA Live Radio. Please follow us on decolonizingthearchive.com. Over the phone, when you're working late, when you're out of town, tell me how much you need it. Cause we listening to all that you've shared because seeing that we've we're moving forward now I would mm. think as a as a society as a people as a global economy you would have thought that by now by now somebody or some they would have recognized that actually it's all about the narrative mm. and they actually I would say do not value the intelligence of the mm-hmm. wider population or the wider audience, they immediately throw their opinions of 
who the audience can and will be. But the audience can and will be is always based on a narration. Mm. So therefore, based upon how you present the information will always also support who comes and who wishes to engage. Exactly. So I very much, you know, I'm glad that we're having this conversation because in two folds, one, what you've acknowledged is that there's an audience who wishes to acknowledge. Yes. That this history is very much alive. There is a there's a history here that tells a story that is a part of the repair that needs to occur. Yeah. Exactly. And as a, a site of heritage and museum, it should be offering repair not only for those who are ancestrally tied to the space, but for those who didn't even know mm -hmm. that this damage had been done. Mm -hmm. You know, the continuance of the dissonance cannot help either party. It's neither going to help the, 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 the white privileged parties or the, the persons who were the, 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 the descendants. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. You know, of the crime that has been committed because it is a crime. Yes, <laughs> this, this is it as well. It, it is a crime. And that's why it, it's, you wouldn't have, my dad used this analogy, you wouldn't necessarily have like, so say for instance, we know that there was like a, a drug dealer or what there has been drug dealers who you know have been caught and sent to prison right their property gets seized or right. something happens whereas in this situation it's like oh you know we know that happened oh that happened okay cool um we might put like a temporary exhibition you know called you know something to like maybe fit, say that you know we've acknowledged it but not really because we haven't really acknowledged it because we haven't really we're not really necessarily changing anything but you know you're welcome to come and look around and see how they lived Ooh, and <laughs> all the amazing people that have come and visited here and ooh, all the things that your ancestors did not get to benefit from and still haven't to this day and woo and all the ways and ways that their children and grandchildren and great 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 grandchildren are living good and ooh, <laughs> all the land that they still own with the sheep that they probably you know get some fresh lamb from you know all this amazing wonderful thing and look they own mountains too and wow and you're just gonna show that and showcase that with no remorse where's the remorse where's the humanity yeah. you know how, how is that okay yeah. you know and it just blows my mind when I'm I'm engaging and walking around and I'm currently on another project with the National Trust, which I'm not able to disclose because it's more internal facing. But, you know, we're going around and we're talking about these things and we're interpreting and making making connections and trying to understand. And I just think there's just a lack of understanding. So time and time again, it's like I'm having to you know cut myself so you can see me bleed just so you can appreciate but oh, it's like definitely. there's so much there's so much research out there like there's so much you know people that have engaged and it's out there for everyone to see but we're just gonna essentially ignore it and you know just come and, and view their wealth well for persons like yourself and your father it goes beyond that because what you have done is given the audience an example of what they can do by switching up the narrative when they go into these spaces. The museums, if they don't change their narratives, will have lost out on an opportunity to evolve a nation. 
yeah exactly. evolve a nation into a higher way of responding a higher way of seeing information and even better improving the lives of everyone they would have missed out on that opportunity but for for us because we can only start with us first yeah exactly I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're on this platform because what you are is an example of what we can do for ourselves. So rather than Thank waiting, <laughs> it's the truth, it's the truth. <laughs> you didn't wait on them to come and give you any reparations. You said, I'm going to go and do these reparations for myself. And part of that, the steps were acknowledging that it happened. The mm -hmm. steps were learning a bit more and making the connection with the plantations in Clarendon. So now you know, mm -hmm. I need to go to Clarendon when I go to Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The steps are, okay, you know what? Everything that I earn, I deserve. Because guess mm -hmm. what? This is what my ancestors did. They built this place. Mm -hmm. So these three steps already has provided an opportunity and a space that is healing yourself, your ancestors that came before you and the, and the descendants to come. Amen. So well, so well done. Thank <laughs> you. And that's what I hope to do. And I think as well, yeah, all these spaces are our spaces as well. Don't let them fool you. That's it. It's our legacy as well. That's right. We built them too. So we must come and enjoy however we can. Exactly. So I just I just always tell people that like a lot of my friends as well, you know, there's a podcast from The Times which documented the trip. So I'm happy to share the link so you can listen to. Please but, tell them. Please so, tell the audience. So when I went to the castle for the first time with my dad, it was documented on the podcast by The Times and then also in an article by The Guardian, which we can share hopefully on, on the website so you guys can go and look yourself. But after doing that, a lot of my friends who listened and family members who felt the pain as well, they were just like, wow, like I, it's inspired them to go and look at their surnames, which you can exactly. see is a key. It's a key which we were still holding, which can let us see everything that our ancestors did in, in this UK and everywhere. So, like, it's be inspired. Our ancestors did that for hundreds and hundreds of years. We are, they survived. They provided us strength, the memory. And we just need to listen and utilize it. And yeah, it's our space too. The castle is my castle as well. <laughs> well done, the keys. And you've mentioned something that is, is quite powerful. Audience, check out your last names. Don't be scared to because you'll be surprised where these keys lie. Um, when we look at tracing steps, we can see certain things that are within a pathology or a genealogy that not, is not necessarily our own. Mm -hmm. For example, in the case of, you know, the Congolese wars or the wars that happened in Rwanda or even Sierra Leone, where a lot of the amputations were happening as part of the war. But if you go back a couple of decades or even a century, you would see that when the Europeans were doing their colonial exercises, a strong part of those exercises was amputation. Mm. Yeah, this is what they taught to the people, the indigenous people. Yeah, the Africans who it's their land, but this is what they taught them. They taught them that exercise. So sometimes when you see people acting out and seeing certain things, you need to look, go back a step further, work mm. out the pathology. Where's this thing coming from? So check out your last names. Mm. You know, take that time to heal 
if you see something maybe possibly in your family that isn't necessary that you want to be associated with, do some investigation and see that possibly there's something there that is not a part of your family line. Mm. You know, these are the kind of conversations that need to be had, believe it or not. They're uncomfortable, but they need to be had, you know, so that you mm. can start doing the healing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and what, what would you say that the healing involves? How, would, how can we start to heal? So I mentioned earlier the three steps that you did, which was to acknowledge. So mm. the first step is to acknowledge. You went and you acknowledge, acknowledge that there was this space. You acknowledge there's this, you know, this, this, this piece of history that's here. The next thing you did was to connect. You made a connection. You made a connectivity. You brought your dad down. You wanted to connect with whatever information was being offered. Even if the information wasn't that great, you wanted mm. to connect to it. The next step that you made was to exalt. You, after that, made an exaltation. You carried your chrysanthemum flowers. You laid mm-hmm. them down. You you ensured that people knew about it. You went. Anyone asks you any question, you go, yes, that's my, I, I built it. These are all steps. And there are quite a few more. But the point is, you started the process. Mm, and, I, and, I have, and I have no doubt you're going to continue. Amen. The That's the plan. You understand? So it's all about starting that process. And, and we have to invite our audiences who are listening to start the process. That's the message in this interview today. Yes. To start that process. This is true. And, and you know what as well? You'll be guided um, by your ancestors and by your, your, yourself. Just be in tune with that and... Yeah, you will find what you, you, you need to find and what needs to be revealed to you. There you go. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. You just listened to Dr. April Louise Pennant. <laughs> yes, scholar, activist. I'm so privileged to be speaking to her and you're privileged to be listening to these stories. Any last words? I just want to thank you so much for inviting me and I just hope that, you know, when we say Black Lives Matter, also remember our ancestors' lives who have still not got justice. And, you know, we are living, breathing representations, the latest manifestations of them. And, you know, let's honor them in many different ways and reclaim what is ours, whatever that means to you. That is a beautiful message. Thank you for that justice that you brought to the platform because that's exactly what you've done, Dr. April Louise Pennant. You brought justice. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to Community Spotlight. See you all. Take care. Community Spotlight on DTA Live Radio. Solidarity.